1: Up everybody, my name is James D. Fiore, and this is Casual Friday. I am so happy right now, and there's a few reasons why. One is that I'm back, baby. In the words of George Costanza, I am back. I have been on an unplanned hiatus over the last two weeks. Uh, I've been away. Oh shit! I don't even remember the last time I did a show, but I, I. I In the last month, I've been to London, UK, I've been to Chicago, I've been to New York, I've been to Milwaukee, I've been to all these places, but now I am back. I am of sound mind. Last time I did a casual Friday, as I'm right at this moment, I was sick. I had COVID, and I have a funny feeling that the um, new strain or the new, what do they call that, aggregate, the new whatever of covid uh, that they say hasn't entered Canada yet, I, I, I might be patient zero. <laughs> because um, I, a subvariant, uh, I think is, is is what it's called. Uh, and I would like to thank my trusty assistant, uh, assistant who just gave me that name. But I, I have a funny feeling that I might be patient zero of the new subvariant of COVID because I went to the UK and New York, came back, and then two days later... Uh, I tested positive for COVID and I was just wrecked. I was completely fucking wrecked. I couldn't, uh, taste anything. I had body aches, a fever. My sinuses were all messed up and I tested positive three times. And then like four or five, di- no, five days later, I finally tested negative. Still felt sick for another couple of days. Like I was really, really ill for like seven days and, um, uh, as a good patient zero, as a very uh, competent patient zero, I didn't leave the house or see anybody. So I would just like to let the Canadian health officials know that although I think I was probably a patient zero for the new variant, sub-variant of COVID-19, that I did my part as a patriot and did not leave the house or see anyone at all confining this horrid illness to myself and in order to uh receive the proper applause for this i would like to invite my co-host for the show mr douglas connors douglas how are you buddy (laughs) i am doing fantastically well my friend how are you i am better now i mean like i i feel like uh i did our country a favor by living first of all in a forest and second of all by having no friends at all in the vicinity of where I live, that I was able to contain the apparent or probable or perhaps maybe the subvariant of COVID nineteen to myself, and I feel like I I, I deserve a little bit of uh, of, of credit for that.
0: <laughs> my friend, you <laughs> have
1: been a very responsible
0: citizen. Oh you God, have do been a crown the queen beaver
1: says good job very (laughs) well done thank you
0: thank you
1: um how have you been sir i i i want to congratulate you because you have news um fresh off your stint uh in your previous theatrical production you have news on a new theatrical production can you please tell us what that's all about
0: i do i do uh about a week or so ago i sent in a video audition For a brand new musical um, that's been created here in Kingston. Uh, So, based on um, the popular children's books, Madeline. Oh. Yeah. So, it's Madeline the Musical. Uh, I will be uh, playing Lord Cuckoo Face. <laughs> how can you not giggle when you hear
1: that character name?
0: I know it's great and a, a couple of other roles too a trustee, the Spanish ambassador or what not but Lord, Lord Cuckoo Face um, uh, unfortunately it's just two days so it's October 13th and 14th Okay, uh, three shows but it will be at the Grand Theatre in the large theatre so the huge professional auditorium the biggest stage in, in the city
1: um, I'm going to make company- a commitment right now um because i no longer have a job outside of the home uh i'm going to rent an airbnb and go to either the 13th or 14th showing of that because um i don't think i spend enough time um supporting uh my friends in their artistic pursuits and i would like to do that right now so uh, we are sitting here october 25th i am making a commitment if i do not listen to what i'm going to say right now and you can hold me to this you can clip this anybody if I do not make that show, I will donate five hundred dollars to a charity of your choice. I promise. Rainbow Railroad. I better fucking make that show because I don't want to pay five hundred dollars. <laughs> It'll <laughs> cost us to to the
0: show. The show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Is,
1: is that is that like one of the main roles or a minor role? Like like what is it like? Um, I'm not familiar with Madeline. I have two kids, but I don't know. I, I'm not yeah. familiar with Madeline.
0: I would not assume it's main role. It might be the principal male role. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a, it, it, it it doesn't mean it's it's a huge role. Uh, but it's a company I've worked with before I think four years ago. Did Matilda. Um, and I got cast with them at um,
1: Rodolfo. Rudolf, that, that was a whole lot of- so, uh, Douglas, can you can you go in and out? out? Your your audio is chopping up a little bit.
0: Oh, hold on. Uh,
1: might uh, might be my toggle. Have you? Do you have a thousand uh, tabs open? Uh,
0: that might have something to do with it. But is that?
1: Yeah, it might. Is that better? That is better.
0: Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I just have to toggle the the noise setting. Oh, okay. Or the restream on and off and
1: so yeah yeah congratulations buddy like like listen like like is that because i'm always really curious when when you're people that are around our age i'm 47 i believe you're 50 um there is a a good version i would say a good version of a midlife crisis is where you um decide to pursue some of the artistic endeavors that maybe you didn't put enough effort into when you were younger. Are you experiencing mm-hmm. that sort of positive midlife crisis at this point in time? Because now this is your second role in a theater in a, in a excuse me in a theatrical production, and I feel like it it warms the cockles of your heart in a way that maybe other things do not.
0: Oh yeah, it does. But I've been doing this. I started out as a dance student, right? That's right. When I was a kid so i I, t- I think i took my first dance lessons at eight and i was hooked and i did that for 13 years and i was doing a bachelor of fine arts at concordia in contemporary dance when i busted up my leg really bad and that pretty much put an end to that uh and it was um uh, i had surgery on my leg had to learn to walk all over again and all that kind of stuff yeah. and x number of years later like almost like a dozen years later after the surgery i said you know i really do miss dancing now, I probably can't dance National Arts Center dancing anymore, right? Which is where I, I was going.
1: Can. I bet you you fucking can. Maybe.
0: I, I kind of sort of like babied my knee. Now, maybe now that I'm playing tennis and I'm much more confident because, I mean, tennis can be pretty hard on the knees and I'm I'm handling it, maybe. But I my, my mind was saying, you know, I can't do that, but certainly I can do community theater dancing. Mm-hmm. Right? And that got me to a point where I actually did get a professional job where I got paid to dance like 26
1: years after I stopped dance school. Wow. Right. You must Which be really proud. Of, like, like, do you ever sit there at night and just be like, this is, I'm just so happy that I'm doing this. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right. Is that it was supposed to be over at 21
0: and you know, and yes, the first time I was paid professionally to dance was in Montreal in a cabaret thing was a 10 day 10 day stint Uh, you know and it was not big money at all Mm. but someone paid me to dance finally I was a professional dancer and then they hired me the next year and next the the, the following year we actually got union credits for, for the show and we had a small tour so it was like my first ever tour so and this was all out of just one day saying you know why not try a musical and mm. I didn't know if I could sing then either uh, and I thought well there was a theater company I'd worked with for many times that it would had done just one that were that were doing their first musical ever and I thought well if ever there's a shot it'll be this one. Cause all the people from musical theater who go to all like the big places probably won't try here first because in case it's bad. And every time I've tried at a big theater, I've never gotten in. So maybe this is my shot and it was, and it worked. I think that's uh, amazing. I, I, I'm from, really proud of you, buddy. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so yeah. It, it's, it's been a really good experience, but I've been acting since uh, when I stopped dancing uh, acting sort of came back again and, um, And the question was, I was starting to get some union credits and I was starting to go to some auditions in Toronto. And there's something that happened in my life that made me think, "Mm, maybe I don't want to be
1: famous. What was that? What happened?
0: Um, I got some attention at one point in my life for like a small period of time, like a, a lot of attention, very intense at one time and i didn't like it attention from D- my name got into the media for something and, and i got a couple of phone calls from people asking
1: like some really
0: very personal questions about my life from I, certain yeah, you don't have courses. to tell me what it was but was it positive or
1: negative attention
0: it was an attempt it was an attempt to cause some negative attention to cause because okay. something to do with florida Nope, nope, nothing at all. Okay. Nothing okay. to do with that. But it was an attempt to somebody had gone to the press and reported that I was doing something that was like terrible. Oh. And they were calling me and asking me like very, very personal questions. And it's like, where is this coming from? And of course there was absolutely nothing going on. The story never made never actually made the press because there was nothing to report. So but it was just sort of like Wow, okay. I'm getting a little bit of attention, and there's already people that want to make trouble for me, yeah, I guess, and it's like this thing that I'm doing that's got me the attention. I'm volunteering for this, like it's not like it's not like somebody's paying me to do this or I'm like or I'm getting a free car or something like it's costing me money to do what I'm doing yeah. here in this volunteer. Why would somebody make me- try to make me trouble? It's like I'm not gaining anything from what I'm doing, so it was. It was just very, very weird. And that made me think, "Mm," which is why I kind of stuck to theater because in Canada, you can be a famous stage actor and nobody will know who the hell you are. That's true. (laughs) But if you go, you start auditioning for TV, I guess the thing is, is like, okay, sometimes you might get a little commercials, but you never know what's going to hit. And then when it hits, it's like, do you stay back or do you go for it? And I'm kind of curious. So I would go for it.
1: That's interesting that because um, the, uh, I, I like being an obscure podcaster. I am not a household name, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm certainly not. Uh, and um, I have rehearsed my answer in case, in case I wake up like one day and like my podcast blows up or something like that and I get yeah. these calls. And if they ask me about certain things, I have a canned response already. And my canned response, tell me what you think of this canned response. They say something and I go like this. Oh, that was like two kinks ago.
0: <laughs>
1: it's the only thing I can think of that will make people go, "Oh, you!" Instead of like drilling uh, down on it.
0: I like that. I like. That. I like. That. I like that a lot. No matter
1: what it is. Oh, that was two kinks ago. Fuck it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I appreciate that. No, listen, I I think that that is great. Um, I I, I I you know I I don't know if I have the balls to do what you do. Like it <laughs> takes it takes a really um certain level of bravery. To be able to stand on stage live in front of an audience and sing, like it's 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 not easy. Yeah. And so I commend you for that, dude. Well, the thing that's interesting about it
0: is that um, it's weird. My internal hardwiring hardwiring is really weird. I'm a natural introvert, um, but I like. I grew up on stage, running, dancing. So, on stage. I'm safe, where most people, like most people's number one fear is public speaking, right? I was on the national debating team. I have no problem with that whatsoever. There, I'm safe. Invite me to a dinner party where we're just six people and the only person I know is the host. I
1: want to die. Really? Oh, my God. That is my version of hell. That's really interesting. A is small, that because small, it's, tiny it's, little it's harder Is that because it's harder to personalize a crowd than it is a dinner party? I think so. Interesting. And plus, small talk
0: is like.
1: See, Uh, I'm an extrovert, and I excel at dinner parties. But uh, when when I was uh, doing live shows as a as a hip hop artist in the early 2000s, I I I would suffer from like really severe stage fright. See
0: that I've never suffered for. I, I get the butterflies, the big ones. Yeah. Every now and then like this, but I always get butterflies. But somebody told me that the butterflies are something that you just surrender to because if you don't have them, don't go on. You're way too overconfident and you're going to screw up. The butterflies are a sign that you're alert enough that you're not like like that 90% of you is on stage, but that 10% is watching you to make sure you're doing it well while you're and doing is, it.
1: Is that a conversion idea? Like Like if you have butterflies- and there is a powerful energy that is present within those butterflies that you can convert that energy to a good performance is that the idea exactly
0: exactly because special especially live theater one of the problems is starting off too slow mm. with not enough energy for the be like this and then you kind of notice and then you have to try to find some place natural where you can try and pick it up but it just right, drags right. So, so, so then but in theater, starting off with not enough energy or starting off too small. You, right. It's better to just go bigger and realize and pull it back than to start too small and never actually get there.
1: Okay, that's really interesting. I, yeah. know, I know a lot of introverts that are performers. Um, they're self-proclaimed introverts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they say the same thing as you. Uh, so you're, you're bang on. They, like, they say that they, they have a little problem um performing in front of a crowd but often they get really kind of nervous and uncomfortable during one-on-one media interviews
0: yeah well with the crowd it's nobody bought a ticket to watch someone fail there's nobody in the audience that bought a ticket going fail 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 right everybody there wants you to do well they want a good show yeah so give them a good show and it, do, it doesn't become more complicated and if something happens well something happens that show be a right so,
1: so. what's your post mortem from your last show that you did like how oh, do you feel it, how do you feel it went
0: my last show was a gift really yeah it's it's one of those rare shows that's a gift explain I, I was well I volunteer with the with the board the local community theater so we had the auditions and I was only i was producing I was only supposed to help uh but it was one of these ensemble casts so Normally, normally you read from a script or you prepare something. But this one, because everything was banter, there was no monologues, really. So you had to have like five or six people at one time auditioning, hmm. each reading a line back, boom, boom, boom. So when there wasn't somebody there in a certain group, I would fill in. Well, after the first day of auditions, they asked me to shave, come back the next day
1: can at you, this audition. Can, can you stop looking like Saddam and come back looking like... Uh... More, more
0: like could could I play could I play stage age thirties? We need less Saddam and more Jimmy Smith. <laughs> if I got rid of the gray, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I ended up getting the part, which was the lead, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was a story about um, a young man uh, in his uh, late twenties, early thirties, uh, who's finally getting uh, well, who's lived with his four Italian grandparents were very oh, wow. close to them all his life and has gone there every Sunday, you know, every Sunday dinner since he's become an adult. And did you have to learn a- how to
1: twirl spaghetti?
0: <laughs> no, 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 not for that. Okay. Uh, and then he uh, got a, but he gets a job in Seattle across the country and he's got to tell them that they're going, that he's going. And then oh. the grandparents try to find a way to get him to stay. So, um, the four actors that I played with, uh, who played the grandparents, I have so many more years of experience at this than I am. Right. So it was a masterclass of acting for me. Oh, That's
1: great. And were they uh, cognizant that you were trying to learn from them?
0: I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I outright said it, but Every time I showed up at rehearsal, you know that thing, imposter syndrome? I yes. didn't have that, but it was like, every time I showed up at rehearsal, it was like, okay, you really no- need to up your game because Martha knocked it out of the park last time. Okay, now it's Bill. So, like, the very, very first rehearsal, um, like, when Paul came to see it, he said, you didn't tell me there'd be feelings. <laughs> so, it's a comedy. I guess like, it's, it's an outright comedy, but at some point, like, this there are feelings and right in the first rehearsal uh bill who plays uh my one of my grandfathers um delivers this soliloquy and he literally has me crying right at the first rehearsal oh really like in the rehearsal like this and i'm sitting there i'm thinking okay if i'm crying now by the time you know after three months of rehearsal and we get on stage i'm not going to be able to cry anymore i'm going to be so used to doing this and every show where i had to cry this i never actually managed to do it until like the last one right to get to that place where you actually have to cry i always had to sort of like do that fake theater cry like no actual tears actually falling out of my eyes yes every single rehearsal every single night he found a way to come and get me
1: you know having someone ridiculous
0: how good he was
1: there there and and there is a Oh, maybe I should ask. I don't know. I I don't know the answer to this, so uh, I'll stop pretending like I know what I'm talking about. But there is there feels like there might be, and maybe you can tell me, is there is there a stark difference between unearthing your own truth and having your truth extracted from you? Oh wow. Y- uh, at
0: the ultimate end, no. But the journey there,
1: oh yeah. Interesting. Well we I guess I guess the ideal situation would be to learn how to unearth it yourself. But when it's extracted from you there might be a uh cuz I've had truth extracted from me in an acting class before and I was completely floored at how powerful that felt. Right. And I'm wondering if if uh what, what I guess uh, maybe my question is what are the advantages of having your truth extracted versus having uh, the ability to unearth it yourself? Oh, repeat that question. The, uh, what are the advantages to having someone else extract your truth out of you so that you're able to deliver versus being able to unearth it yourself?
0: Um, the advantage is um, if you find it yourself, either it's something you stumble upon by accident. And as it happens, you go, oh, what's that thing? And you notice everything, and then you try to recreate that. Or you've drawn from something in your past, a place that you've gone to, a place that you go to a place, and you draw from that, and you try to bring it in. But when somebody extracts it from you, um, usually... um, it can happen gently, and then someone says, hey, try it this way, and ooh, you discover something. But sometimes it comes after being pushed. Often enough, it can come after being pushed, and it can come after having um, what seems at the time a negative reaction as well. That's interesting. Like, like You push me too damn hard, like just stop, right? And, you know, like this, and then something happens, and there's a little more release, and then something happens after that. mm I took an like, acting cl- I lot. took an yeah. acting
1: class once. And the re- that that's the reason why I asked you is because uh there were there were like I don't know eight, nine people in this acting class, and I watched one after another go up. And the acting teacher, who's a friend of mine, Troy Scog, he's a very talented actor. He was in Owning Mahoney, he was in uh, an X-Files mm-hmm. episode and everything. And um he was able to make Every single person in that class cry one by one by extracting their truth. I was the last guy to go up, and I knew the guy. He was a good friend of mine. And I went up there with this idea in my head that he wasn't going to be able to do that to me. And not only was he able to do that to me, but he was able to extract my truth and put me into tears quicker than anybody else that got on before me. And uh, I I appreciate... um, the craft of acting is, is, is a really underappreciated art form, I think, because a lot of people associate acting with people who are shallow or ditzy and all that kind of stuff. But um, that is completely untrue, especially in the theatrical realm uh, where, where people are literally owning their own emotions in order to deliver something poignant for the audience. And it is really, it's really amazing to watch uh, that craft uh, firsthand firsthand because mm-hmm. of how, especially if you understand um, what it takes to be able to deliver something that's emotionally relevant to an audience that will feel what you're trying to project. It's really, really powerful stuff. It,
0: it, it really is. And, um, and you're right, because they're, it's like on the way to that performance you see, like, like I, when I think about it in musicals for example you have to learn to sing the song and then you have to learn the steps and yeah. then you have to learn your lines and acting on top of that and you have to put that all together and then you gotta like time things and then you gotta know enough in case somebody drops a line that you can save them somehow and all that kind of stuff right and then deal with anything that can go wrong at any time of the moment mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I love live theater because I love the high wire thing I love the fact that anything could go wrong like this and then you get those nights where you just nail it, yeah, which is great. But uh, you, um, yeah, I, I think that this particular show with those four actors, um, and then the other person that was younger as well, um, like I saw her ability grow over the course of the rehearsals, but. It seemed that every day that I came in, I really, really, really had to bring in my A game um, to be at their level. Um, and it was three months of no drama whatsoever from anyone, from crew, from everyone working backstage with us, from the director, from anybody in the cast. Just no drama whatsoever. I swear. Is that it was rare? A total gift. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Okay, I didn't know it, that. It's not. It's not. Not totally rare. It's happened. Uh, the first when it, when I got back into doing theater, I think in the first uh, six or seven shows that I did, uh, there was only one where there was no drama. And almost every show, about two weeks before we were to go live, the director had a meltdown at some point.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's me like, ready, I ready? You ah! about the director,
0: right? like, often directors can be really. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. it Turns out that my first attempt at being a director, I was one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I directed one it's thing in my, my life, and it was a commercial.
1: And and my my whole thing was just like, just let them do what they're. I was like Scorsese. I was just like, just let them do what they're going to do improv yeah. it's all good you know yeah and then you know, I, produced, I I directed a commercial that probably would get me canceled today but still it was a success at the time
0: yeah no with that with directors i had a healthy respect for them but after i tried my hand at it it was oh, damn
1: it's gonna be a long while well before i try that again yeah. <laughs> okay um well congratulations because i think and, that is that is quite the accomplishment um i i'm really happy for you when whenever someone is doing something that encompasses uh, or captures their passion and, and something that emotionally fulfills them, I get really kind of proud of them. So I'm very proud of you. Well done. Oh, thanks. There's something I want to say, though, because to finish answering
0: your, your first question, Please. because we, we went a long roundabout round way. Um, I think that now, now that I'm 50, and now that I've you know tried my hand for a year or two, putting my face and my own voice to my own words because the eager beaver thing was written for 10 years now i would be interested in seeing what i'm capable of you know what i mean no no as an actor I wasn't pursuing anything professional for the longest time, and I wasn't going to take auditions in Toronto or in Montreal or something. I was perfectly happy doing community theater and some little pro-am stuff. But it's... There are different opportunities at other levels that you can't get at a lower level because of budget. So there's, there's always a part of me that always wondered, how far could I take it if I
1: actually did pursue it? What 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 would you have to do as an actor to find out where your limits are? Like, would it be like, like, would you be able to take a play that was a one man act and rehearse it on your own and try to gauge whether or not you're capable of doing something like that? Or how would it work?
0: That's one, that's one heck of a test. Um, you just try, right? Because you can't be an actor if you're not good with rejection, right? <laughs> if you're not good with re- it's not the field for you. So, I mean, you just keep on trying. But, you know, I, I was trying for projects at a certain level and then at another level. And then I think it was two years ago, I had an opportunity for uh, an audition for an actual fully professional theater that would have given me equity credits. Oh, wow. stage credits in English. So I have some stage credits in French on the UDA side for when I did that, you know, the company I did the musical for the first time hired me the next year for a second when we did that tour. Mm -hmm. But I don't have any in English.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: But now I'm at the point where I'm my resume is good enough that I get in if I put my name in for auditions for professional companies. I haven't gotten one yet. I got one. It's not a no. It's a not now because turns out we're not doing the project right now. But come and audition next year, and then the following year they decided to take a year off. So December will be the following year. Dude, keep uh, at
1: it. Keep at it.
0: like I'm, I'm like three or four times I'm like knocking on the door, and every now and then someone will throw money my way for something. But that 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 just just that little equity is like right there and i'm sort of like just right here i'm getting invited to the party to come audition but i haven't been called up yet
1: i think listen I'm like, oh. I, I i'm one of those big believers that success is uh, is an equal part of talent and ambition and perseverance like like they're keep going uh, you know what i mean like there there are a thousand
0: frogs to get a prince thing right you got to kiss him
1: 100 volume 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 you know what i mean like and 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 it's true that's why a lot of like not in maybe not in theater because that's it's a lot easier to tell if you if the casting director uh fucked it up in theater than it is in television <laughs> right <laughs> but but in tv and movies um you know it like i'm an actor i'm technically an actor producer because uh i did a, a commercial that won awards or whatever and I needed to pay people to scale for this certain client, so mm-hmm. I had to pay seven hundred dollars or whatever to become an actor producer. But I do happen to know that um, from working with actra actors that they all say the same thing: like it's it's volume, and, um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, the it's it's if you can, if you have a person who's really talented and really ambitious, there is no stopping that person. Mm-hmm. If you have a person that's very talented and non-ambitious the mediocre talent who's really ambitious will far exceed that person who's really talented but not that ambitious. Mm -hmm. And that is weird and logical all at the same time.
0: Mm -hmm. And the thing with me is I'm a bit of a stereotypical type A, so I am very, very, very ambitious when I set myself up. And I was a dance student for
1: 13 years, so I'm extremely disciplined. So You're also probably, do you ever look at someone like, you're a dancer, do you ever go like this, that's the dancer beside you and just think your nose up in
0: the air like that no 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 <laughs> no nah, nah, it's that, that's totally against type you should have seen there's a play i did a few years ago kranz and bernardo like yeah. this like, we know each other a little bit right yeah think of what the polar opposite of my personality
1: would be uh grumpy and mean i had to play that and oh, violent shit. oh nice well that's perfect that's a great test i know the
0: rehearsals were so much fun
1: <laughs> it's like it's like oh my god i
0: can't believe i get to say these things <laughs> I, mean, I would never say these things in real life
1: in the play it's, I Actually, it's like douglas somebody. in like the shitty person matrix you know i, I, exa- I actually
0: waterboard i would got to waterboard someone in the latrine in this play yeah right? wow man. it's like <laughs> by the hair i'm like thinking like i'm enjoying this
1: way too much <laughs> well i'm proud of you um october 13th and <laughs> 14th and once again just for those just joining us, I have committed to going to see Douglas's new play um, where he plays Mr. Cuckoo. Lord Cuckoo Face. Lord. <laughs> see, I thought I was being silly. And the name of the character is actually sillier than what I could come up with, which is Lord Cuckoo Face. I'm going to go make the trip to Kingston on either October 13th or 14th, stay in an Airbnb and watch his play. Or, Or if I miss it, and I'm committing this, and this is fucking real, I'm going to commit uh, $500 to a charity of Douglas's Choice if I don't go see it. Um, now, I want to switch gears a little bit here. All right. Um, and I don't want anyone to be like, the thought this was Casual Friday. You can't talk about serious stuff. Everything's casual. Casual Friday is now defined as the following. Even serious stuff is discussed in a casual manner. Exactly. <laughs> That's how it goes. I wrote this piece today.
0: I'm getting casual.
1: Yeah, you're getting casual. Um, Decision to uphold Jordan Peterson's social media training order is an Ontario court troll job. Now, I'm going to tell you what I meant by that, and then we are going to discuss it like rational human beings. I have a feeling that if Jordan Peterson were a different kind of person, and he, okay, okay, first of all, let's talk about his social media posts, which, by the way, I don't think were very nice posts. I don't agree with any of the things that he said. I, I, I happen to think he was factually incorrect, except for one when he called Gerald Butts a prick. And that's only because I have a personal beef with Gerald Butts. And uh, he got mad at me once because I called him on his cell phone. He's like, how would you get this number? And I'm like, I'm a reporter. He's like, now I have to change my number. And I'm like, no, you don't. And then now every three or four months, I, I text him. I'm like, did you change your number yet? And he's like, shut up. <laughs>
0: right.
1: so so it, it but to me it's funny games right <laughs> it's, that's a true story i'll show you the text um but i happen to think that if that if 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 jordan peterson um because some of the texts were like this he called gerald butts a prick um he he said that a plus size model was not beautiful and by the way, I disagree with him with that because I actually thought mm-hmm. that that woman in that, in that on that cover of that magazine mm-hmm. was gorgeous. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just how I feel about it. Um, he, he disagreed about climate science and I think he called uh, Elliot Page's surgeon who gave her a double mastectomy, a butcher, something mm-hmm. like that. I don't find any of those things agreeable. I don't agree with any of them except for the Gerald Butts prick thing. I, 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 so, but I think that that is sort of besides the point, the governing body, um, what is it? The college of psychiatrists of Ontario. Psychologists. Uh, Sorry. Of psychologists. Is it psychiatrists or psychologists? Psychologists. Psychologists. My bad. Decide. Fielded complaints from people, and we'll get to that in a second because I think that's part of the problem too. And then followed up on those complaints and said that Jordan Peterson had to go to social media training. He appealed the decision with an Ontario uh, through the Ontario court system, and the Ontario court system upheld the original order from the Ontario from, from the College of Psychologists of Ontario. Right now, the I look at the situation, uh, and, and I and I. Again, I don't agree with the tweets that Jordan Peterson said. And honestly, I don't really agree with most of what Jordan Peterson says. Although I don't hate him either. Like I'm I'm Mm -hmm. one of those people. Like I'm just whatever. Like he he says what he says. I have a few opinions about this. My first opinion is that I would personally like to know who made the complaints. Mm Mm-hmm. I would like to know if those complaints were made from an authentic um, concern about Jordan Peterson's potential future patients versus people who just politically disagreed with him. That's one thing. The second thing is those tweets that he made, and one of those, by the way, uh, one of the complaints was made by an American who disagreed with what he said on the Joe Rogan podcast about climate change. I have no idea why that's even a relevant thing in this particular situation, but according to the uh, College of Psychiatrists of Ontario, that, that was relevant. Even though that person who made the complaint just sent in the entire transcript of the three-hour interview rather than the part that they disagreed with, there are so many things that bother me about this. and And so it's the complaint process, and then it's the idea that I seem to believe that... If Jordan Peterson called Donald Trump a prick, and if Jordan Peterson was really mean to Matt Walsh and somebody else, that no complaints would have ever been levied in the first place. I find that I agree with Jordan Peterson that it is a little bit biased, and I don't think worth the court's time or anyone else's time, especially because he hasn't really even had a practice in six years. What say you, Douglas? I say I can see how someone will
0: see it that way uh, or could see it that way. Um, I think that the issue here is the fact that his Twitter account specifically says that he's a clinical psychologist and that he often speaks saying as a clinical psychologist and then he does these things. Ooh. So it is, it is very we have to remember at every time that we are not talking about Jordan Peterson, the person private citizen. We're talking about Jordan Peterson, clinical psychologist, when we're associating this behavior. Uh, and when you become, you get a license to be a licensed clinical psychologist, you sign an oath. And on this oath, you say that you are, you agree to limit your freedom of expression, in certain ways in order to be able to say, I am a clinical psychologist (laughs) and get the benefits that come with membership. Um, He wants the benefits that come with membership without having to be responsible to the profession. So the profession tried to bring him back in line. Um, He said that they have no authority to do that clearly they do uh he brought it to court clearly he lost we all knew he was gonna lose we did
1: well yeah there's is that just because the the rules are 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 set forth by the um college of uh, psychologists of ontario where we're basically so plain spoken that it would be impossible for the ontario court not to uphold the ruling
0: in one way, yes, and the other way, it's they just they. It's clearly them who have the authority in this case on such matters. I mean, there's there's nothing ambiguous whatsoever. They're the licensing body. Okay, right. What the, the, this is this is specifically their domain. So it's um. So he, he didn't have a case. Now the thing, as you mentioned, is that he hasn't had a practice since 2017. So. But the thing is, is that he could, so long as he's a member in good standing, he could start one again. Right. But what he's doing is that without having the practice, he's um, plying on the, I am a clinical psychologist to add legitimacy to the things that he's saying. And I think it's pretty clear as a clinical psychologist, you probably should not be seen in the public recommending that people unalive themselves that's that's probably a bad look professionally for you
1: which one was that because because which which tweet was that that you're referring to
0: i think the one where i I can't remember off the the top of my head but the one where he suggested that somebody might should maybe kill themselves
1: yeah yeah that 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 was that that was bad form for sure well i mean like yeah, Rachel
0: Gilmore made a point. If you think of all the reasons for which you might go see a clinical psychologist, for example, if you have an eating disorder, well, that comment he made about that woman in the bathing suit, why would you trust him? If you are if you have gender dysphoria, why would you, you wouldn't go see him? Well, if you're trying to figure out, if if you're questioning whether you may be trans, you wouldn't go to him to help you figure that out. You can so well, there's a whole not, g- like true, Gender people service? are not a
1: monolith. Like, like again, I, I always bring up the person that I had on my show because
0: I mean uh, statistically there might be one person that might fit with him and that like this, but I don't I would not recommend him as a safe person for somebody looking for those services to go to.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. But but is there is there a um yeah, I, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to bring us down a rabbit hole. I, I get what you're saying. Like, he was talking specifically about Elliot Page. And, mm-hmm. and I think that um, if you're an adult, especially, and I want to put an emphasis on that, if you're an adult and you choose to uh, get the surgeries and change your name and pronouns and everything involved uh, when it comes to gender reassignment surgery, um, you should be left alone. That I, I I so I disagree with Jordan Peterson with what he said about Elliot Page. Mm-hmm. Uh, I well, if he if he said that about a person that was fourteen or fifteen who had the same pro, um, procedures as Elliot Page, I might have a different opinion about it because I, I'm a little bit as a father of a nine and a seven year old, I am mm-hmm. a little bit confused about and, and I understand the argument is that some parents are abusive. So let's just like recognize that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of any legit reason why a school should know something about my children that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. So, so when it comes to certain uh, laws that uh, are are uh, that circumnavigate the transgender issue and all of the ancillary issues that come with that, I, as a father, am am very. Um, like it, it, it takes a lot to convince me that there is something that a teacher should know about my kid that I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. But so the I'm thing a is, bit, is that- like,
1: I, I, I'm wondering why that is. Uh, why, why those types of rules exist? Uh, and and if if it exists because abusive parents exist, why is it that parents that aren't abusive also get left in the dark? Okay. Here's the thing.
0: My perspective from this again is if we're, if we're looking at this legally,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? A child is a human unto themselves. So they have a personality. They have rights unto, the, unto themselves. They are at, at an age, at that age where they are discovering who they are. They spend X number of hours a day at home. They spend X hours a day at church, at, at, not church, at school with their <laughs> friends. That's a whole other. They thing. behave they behave differently with their friends than they do at home. Right? Among their peers, there may be other people who are gender fluid, I guess, or rainbow in any way. Now it's not weird. Like when I was in high school, it was still weird to have a gay friend in your circle because I was the gay friend. I know it was weird. <laughs> Now it's weird if you don't have one. Right. Right. Things have changed. Um, So kids are going to be born be themselves at school sometimes than they are at home. They're going to try things. They're going to test things, test out personality, hang out with different friends. Like this, they might swear in the schoolyard that, but they may never try at home. You know, um, I've seen girls often that go home with the, that go to school, especially with the, if they have the, the Catholic school in the uniform who, you know, get around the block and then do something else, tie it up here or do something, right? Yeah. So, but you're expressing your personality, you're, you're, you're finding a way, you're trying things out. Some things, some things look cool, you try it out. Oh, you, you discover that's not cool, right? Teachers already know a lot about your children that you don't know.
1: <laughs> but, but to make it a pause, <laughs> because they
0: see them in an entirely different context, seven, about six or seven hours a day where you're not there.
1: Yeah, but to build a policy around that
0: secrecy. I get that. It's not secrecy. Because remember the, the thing I'm going to start we're saying where the children are their own human beings. They're, they're human beings on their own. We forget to think of children. Because children don't have jobs, don't pay taxes, don't run corporations, don't run NGOs, don't live on their own. We fail to think of them. We think of them only as dependent and right. not as independent beings. But under the law, they are independent beings when it comes to their personal rights. So this is not about the school hiding something they know about your child from you or sharing something they know about your child with you. It's about who does the information being shared belong to? Right. It belongs to the child.
1: So, do you think that, that, that so the, maybe, my, maybe, my, my yeah, my, problem, sorry, I'm sorry. my
0: problem with these cases is that the state is now coming in and saying, Child, oh, you might be transgender. Oh, we know this because there's an adult in your life, a teacher, who we've put there. We've created a system to put adults in your life who you could trust. So, you trusted them with this piece of information. And now that we have this piece of information that belongs to you, something very deeply, deeply personal about you, we are going to take that, we are going to make that ours, and we are going to do what we think is best for you with it. Interesting. Okay. And we don't care about it because it's children. But if it was, for example, Mr. Fiore. Um, it says here that you are married, but uh, we see you here at the STD clinic. Was this something that you acquired from your spouse? No. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um, I think she has a right to know, doesn't she?
1: Right. Okay. As the state yeah. is.
0: So we don't care because it's kids or you've come in for an abortion. Oh, turns out you're pregnant.
1: You know, as you're, as you're talking, Douglas, I, I, I realize something. And I, I don't know where this puts me in this argument anymore because it could put me on your side. I am the type of parent to have an open dialogue with both of my children, who mm-hmm. would feel comfortable telling me if they had something to tell me about their gender identity. So,
0: let me. It's almost like
1: I, I'm almost feel like feeling like I'm having a eureka moment right now because I feel the only way, like I'm, I'm literally thinking of this for the first time right now, and I have no problem saying that because if I'm gonna evolve in real time in front of people, that's fine by me. But I feel like the only time a child would would have the reason to keep something from their parents that they would share with the teacher is because they already know that their parent would be like um, uh, uh, aggressively uh, trying to talk them out of whatever that secret might happen to be. I, I, my kids and I have a great relationship. So I, I, I would be able to They, they listen, I, you know, I would be able to talk to them about their gender identity. So mm-hmm. I guess, I guess this law and, and, and listen, I I, I mean, I'm still sort of on the fence or whatever, but I, I think I understand your perspective a little bit more now, because I feel like kids have a really good instinct with what their parents accept about them and what they don't. And maybe that policy is built for kids who have an instinct that their parents would not accept that about them and, maybe and that's something i never t- thought about before and i'm actually yeah. happy that i have you on and talking to you about this because i feel like it's important for me to evolve on something like this this okay. issue i have a lot of people that think i hate trans people and it's, that's not true at all like, like i just want to understand the issue and all its uh different facets better that's all i want mm-hmm. you know
0: the the thing also is that with these kids they might not know if they are yet. They might be trying it out in an environment they think it's safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if at the first glimpse of it you take it and you say they are, and a lot of these policies they talk about, you know, like this, well, you know, for kids who don't want to tell them, we'll try to make it safe environment for like this. So, what they're talking about is they're talking about bringing them into a room with yet more adults, like a social worker, site, who will pressure that kid to tell their parents something they clearly do not want to tell them. Right. What how does that how be- is any of this in the best interest of the child and if you think of a child as an independent human if this person was not a child right would you treat them that way? You know what? Again, this is something deeply deeply personal because and and you could do damage to a child by revealing that information before they're ready to have it, if, before they've even figured it out for themselves. And the other thing is that if you tell all of these laws, it's going to result one day, invariably, I can guarantee this, you can put money on it. Some kid somewhere who's affected by one of these laws is going to be outed to their parents before they're ready and these parents are not going to be accepting and these parents will either harm their child or kick them out Mm -hmm. and that child will be on the street and will either be trafficked or groomed like that and the first time and and probably wind up dead and when that starts happening all these school boards are
1: going to get sued so damn hard how does the policy play out you might not know the answer to this question but how does the policy play out if the parents go to like a parent teacher meeting and ask them directly has my child expressed to you a change in their gender identity what is the teacher supposed to say or allowed to say in that situation
0: ask your child that's your child's information to share with you not mine that's not information that belongs to me to share okay it's not about keeping something secret. It's about respecting the fact that this is not your information to share. Okay.
1: Not anymore. Like You've got
0: plans to get married to someone mm-hmm. and somebody else knows it. It's not up to them to tell everybody. It's your information.
1: That's fair. Okay. My eyes are open a little bit on this because I didn't like, you know, as a parent, I've, I don't feel like there's anything that, anyone else should be privy to about my child that i'm not privy to Mm -hmm. but i never looked at it from a perspective that my child might think i hate the who they have become because i would never hate who my child thinks they become and i'm literally not part of the pile of parents that would not be you know i think anyways that would not be privy to the information that they would give a teacher that they wouldn't be able to give me like i i feel like my kids could talk to me about anything you know Mm -hmm.
0: But the thing you have to remember, as someone who's rainbow and went through the coming up process, my mother, who's not with us, is love on two legs. I've seen her be okay with gay people. We've had gay people in the house. I was 99.9999999987% sure she would be okay. But there was that zero point zero 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 one three that had me terrified. Because I have seen cases where people were outwardly okay, but not in my house.
1: Okay.
0: Right? So even if you think you've done, parents, if you think you've done everything to create the environment safe, there's probably still a small fraction of them that is still terrified as fuck no
1: matter what. I, if my son is gay, the, the one thing that makes me, that would make me really ecstatic is that I would be able to borrow his clothes. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> but just, just remember that. Right. Yeah. It's like think if
0: you know, just every child, even if they're almost 100% sure is still terrified because okay. you never know what happens, what's going to be real until you actually say it. And that's, that's, once that word comes out of your mouth and between that reaction, it feels like a fricking lifetime. Yeah. It could be just five seconds of terror, but it feels
1: like a lifetime. (laughs) I can only, I can only imagine Douglas, obviously like I have no way of being able to personalize any of this stuff. Um, One thing that I will say is that I think, um, and I mean this, I'm not trying to be, um, you know, curt or, or flippant or anything, but, but my recent separation has, um, I think, made me more open to evolve on a whole bunch of issues regarding my kids because I, I, one thing when you're together with somebody, um, whether you love them or not, when you get into the routine and the monotony of, of a sort of like nuclear family, you, you can sometimes forget about the nuances and the specifics about what your children experience and one thing that I have been extraordinarily aware of uh in the last few months as uh my children and I navigate this new situation is mm-hmm. is a new appreciation for what they go through mm-hmm. as as individual little humans, right? Like mm-hmm. and so um I was really I was kind of I, I got I got a little verklempt today because my son um we, my son and daughter have, and I have spent the last few days together, um, you know, like 10 hours a day. Hmm. Um, I, I, they go back to their mom's house just before dinner, but I get them at breakfast time. So say 10 hours a day or so. Mm-hmm. And my son today, just before he got picked up, um, just sort of casually, he wasn't being emotional about it. And he wasn't even really looking at me when he said it, but he said, daddy, I really liked the last couple of days being here because you remembered how to play with us. And And I, I, and I was like, and I knew exactly what he meant at the time. Like like when he said it and he was right because, um, when, when my wife, uh, and the kids, uh, moved out, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I didn't see them for about a month and when they came back. I was I missed them so much that I was very much like I just want to snuggle with you guys and watch a movie, <laughs> right? Like right. I I want to hold you close to me and watch a movie right. or whatever. Right. And then right. in the last like week or so, um, you know, I I I started playing with their toys with them and you and, and and being the dad that I was when they lived with me and and man, they're so wise and and they pick up on that shit. And yeah. and my son like literally basically said to me, fucking finally dad you know like you're 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 showing me the daddy that you were when i lived with you that's basically what he was saying and it made me feel um a little bit ashamed of myself for not doing it sooner but also really proud of my son for for being able to communicate that to me you know what i'm saying yeah 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 it's 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 really magical like kids are so fucking smart they 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 know more about human interactivity than adults do like they understand shit immediately we
0: underestimate kids so much. They are capable of so much more than we give them credit for. And they, they just, <sighs> wisdom, kids have wisdom. Yeah,
1: they Was do. it Sophie's it World? It. The book, uh, or Sophie's Choice? Um, okay. I, I think it was, I, I can't remember what book, I think it was Sophie's Choice when they would talk about how uh, kids are born with the wisdom of the universe they, they embody that, that wisdom of the universe when they are born. And it's our world and parents and, 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 other human beings that basically, um, water it down as they get older and older and older. And so that sort of pure kind of like humanistic wisdom that they are born with gets watered down and shaped by society and, and eventually they become adults and, and if they can find a way to harness a piece of that, they, they they're lucky but otherwise it kind of yeah. fades away and, yeah. and i find that as i get older and i watch my own kids grow i i i i feel like that is actually like such a stark reality you know like
0: you got to hold on and, to that
1: inner child man yeah oh my god like you know and i used to joke that my my lack of maturity was my way of holding on to the inner child but it really isn't what 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 i really want to be able to do as a dad is is um is be able to like let my kids be who they are, while knowing that I love them no matter what. And I and, and I think I'm accomplishing that right now. Like this separation, I I, I have found um, uh, there's a vein of stoicism that actually Dean Blundell has really put me onto. Uh, he, he 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 has sent me a lot of stuff about stoicism that I really truly appreciate, and uh, he's he's one of my closest friends now, and I really love him for this because. The ability to be able to take something as powerfully awful as a separation, mm-hmm. convert the power of that separation into something that is positive yet equally as powerful, and redirect it back out into the world is right. probably the most valuable lesson I think I've ever learned. Right. And when I when I uh, appropriate that um, in regards to my relationship with my kids. I feel like a rock star and also very humble at the same time. It's such a weird thing. Yep, Yeah. You know, that means you're doing right, dad. I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. Um, Speaking of children, um, let's move on to Doug Ford. (laughs) 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 Did you see the, uh, did did you see the press conference that he did today? I mean, Okay, Sorry. first of all... No, I have not yet.
0: I have okay. not yet, but I heard it was a doozy.
1: Well, well, first of all, the greatest picture in Canadian politics that I have ever seen might be this one. Yes. <laughs> this is Doug okay. Ford saying... Well, I mean, I, I can't be expected to micromanage every facet of the provincial government which was that his is... way of trying to pretend that he had no idea that the people that were at his daughter's stag and doe were getting preferential treatment in the Greenbelt development scandal. I that... swear to God, if the RCMP don't come back with some sort of like charge against him or his government, right? And we don't protest on mass? Right. I fucking give up, Douglas. Seriously. Like honestly, like say, say what you will about the con- say what you will about the convoy protesters, and there's a lot to say about them. Just as Paul Atkinson, i um, trust me, I'm with you, Paul. I get it. But if the if if a corrupt green belt development, um, you know, charges and scandal whatever, if that does not prompt well-meaning Ontarians to get up go to Queen's Park by the hundreds of thousands and demand a resignation, then we deserve the premier that we have. We seriously do. I agree. Although, I mean, I don't think any of us
0: are so bad that we deserve this. But we have it coming, that's for sure. Yeah. I I, yeah yeah. I'm a... I'm so over this guy. (laughs) I just... Oh man! I don't know what you know. I'm an I'm an optimist, but I'm a very impatient optimist.
1: (laughs) When does realism and pessimism overlap already, man? (laughs) Yeah, when does realism and pessimism overlap? Because I think we're already there. You know. Ah, God! It's like
0: I cannot imagine. Well, sorry, how am I put it this way? Yes, I can imagine because he's so greasy. But <laughs> remove the grease, right? The, the additional extra, super-duper extra grease. If you and remove the grease, he's like 165. I cannot. Oh, yeah, well, we got another weight. That was the other guy with the weight thing, right? Who weighed in? that's right, the greatest right. thing I've ever heard. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, we shouldn't be doing Self-reported. This we yeah. are ter- terrible people. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> anybody else, anybody else would have police up his wazoo mm-hmm. right now.
1: Well, we can, really? You think so? Yeah. Because th- I think the process is itself is flawed. Like, the, the gas, what is it? The, was it the gas plant scandal of the Wynn government? Yeah. That was a scandal. It yep. took like six years. Yep. For any accountability to even be like levied onto oh, yeah. the players that were involved in that. We're we're at what year one? But this is a very, very, very
0: small group.
1: Yeah. How can he be expected to be responsible for the exact person he delegated all the responsibility to, Douglas? Like what the When
0: fuck? his job is to be responsible. <laughs>
1: Uh, so you're saying, Premier. sir, that the chief of staff of the housing minister gave all of these uh, prioritized uh, green light, green lit, green belt applications to the exact same people that were at your daughter's stag and doe, and you had no idea? Well, that's right, my friends. How could I possibly know anything like he it is because so condescending to to the people where on you problem. decided that you weren't going to
0: know. That's wow. Right? I mean, come on. Like the, the thing is, is that if you're gonna do this type of freaking grift, right? It's like there's a million dollars there. You can go and take one hundred thousand, you know, or you can take ten dollars off every ten thousand.
1: In the it's words like of a, Mayor Quimby a, from The Simpsons, it's like a, did did I hear a briefcase open?" <laughs> and <laughs> it's just like it is so damn.
0: Again, it's like the oh goddamn dastardly! It's, it's mafia just, shit, dude. So brazen, yeah. That it's just. Oh, <sighs> it just it blows my mind it blows my mind and i think half a part of it i think that's why they're not reacting it's like oh yeah yeah we saw them doing it yeah yeah because they treated it like it's normal but this is not freaking normal (laughs) right it's not it's like here hear me out we're gonna do all this criming no 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 no. we're not gonna hide it we're gonna do right right in plain sight we're just every time they ask us about us, ask about ask us about it. That we're just gonna go like,
1: yeah, yeah, and and that's what I that that's why I'm <laughs> like like Trust I, me, I, I feel look. like I feel like you know the the people of this province are partially to blame. Like like we first of all twofold. One is that our voter turnout makes me disgusted oh. with this province. Yeah. What was it thirty percent? Whatever it was, thirty three. it was yeah. It was not good it was not good and then the lack of action when we realize that corruption is so brazen and right in front of our faces and we just like shrug our shoulders and do nothing like we deserve the government that we get like like if you if you're really mad at Doug Ford and the only thing that you can muster is like a mean tweet and I'm including myself in this mm. then then what the fuck do you expect yeah if, I, if you're in Toronto right now and you hate Doug Ford and you're not marching on Queens Park with 100,000 other people, then what do you expect?
0: Or flooding your constituency office or... Or something. Making the phones ring off the hook or writing letters or... Yeah. But yeah, it's... I am holding the little bit of hope that the few media outlets that are not super pro CBC and the couple of media outlets that are pro CBC that have one or two reporters or journalists or opinion pieces who still like journalism (laughs) somewhat. Um, I know for a fact that there's nothing that journalists love more than blood in the water. And there is clearly blood in the water. (laughs) So hopefully that will keep enough hopefully though there'll be a core i mean look at that that is that that is unimpressed face <laughs> with a side of are you shitting me <laughs>
1: look at, i don't know who that journalist is
0: not, i do and i can't remember his name off the top of my but head but
1: holy fuck is that a hilarious picture you guys like that, free, that those for those of you on spotify or on apple because i know most of my listeners come from those two um those two platforms uh just make a point to go to either my Twitter or YouTube page and look at the picture of the reporter standing on to the right of Doug Ford looking at him basically saying, are you motherfucking kidding me with this shit as Doug Ford tries to pretend that he had no fucking idea that the fix was in with, uh, you know, with, with the way that um, Ryan Amato handled uh, the, the, applications for the green belt development like the, it, it is absolutely insane like he is treating us like we're we're fucking four years old like it is crazy um and he resigned well see that this so is he the threw thing. him under the bus yeah yeah
0: but the thing is see, here's ahead. the thing is like if the crime doesn't upset you if the corruption doesn't upset you the freaking insult to your intelligence alone right should right? have you out there and say you know what motherfucker i'm sorry but no no I, we understand that you all grease your palms a little bit on, on the way in and on the way out but fuck no like you're not going to piss on my leg and tell me it's hepatitis i am you know, sorry <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is, this is just that's a good point douglas <laughs> Do you know what I'm, I'm starting to think um, and I'm just having this thought now and maybe I'm really late to the party on this, but I feel like the pandemic awakened a right-wing voting block that never voted before while at the same time dampening progressives that used to vote but now can't be bothered. And that's why it feels like everything in our society is either shifting towards the right or giving um a turning a blind eye to some of the corruption among conservatives because you look at daniel smith and you look at like doug ford and you look at um you know a lot of the uh weird tactics of our leader of the opposition and the way that he's going about trying to rally his troops it feels like we just we just all kind of collectively don't give a fuck anymore and and, and even though I don't identify as a progressive or a conservative, I, I identify as a moderate. I, I know who's in power, and, and that's who I normally criticize. So mm-hmm. I criticize Ford and Smith and Trudeau. I also save some criticism for Paulie But I feel like, like we're, we're not really um, cognizant enough of what's happening. And, and and I don't know—is this a post-pandemic political theater? Is this what we're dealing with? Like, what what are we dealing with, Douglas? Like, what is it? What, what is this called? That we're
0: what era are we in right now? The, there might be some of that. By the way, the journalist is Robert Benzi.
1: Oh, Robert Benzi. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think there's part of that. I, I think the, I think Ford in the last election, in particular, hit hit a sweet spot, hmm. where uh, coming out of a yet another wave but still in the summer, and there's a lot of brain power and effort that goes in, you know, living pandemic style. You you don't, after a while, it sort of becomes a new normal after a while when you're doing it, but when you think about, can't go here, can't go there, oh, I got a sniffle, I need to test, am I doing this? Oh, did you bring your mask? Did you bring this? Did you bring that? You know, did you wash your hands? Did you... you that takes a toll. Like for some people, it just became their life and they were fine with it. But, but there were some people, it's like, oh, God damn it, I'm fucking washing my hands again, right? Um, and like even I, who thought, you know what, like this, I am like fully converted to masks from September to April because I haven't been sick in two years. it's like last year I slipped a couple of times that didn't always have it, right? right you revert back to your normal pretty damn quickly, even though I am totally sold on, like I'm completely sold on the benefits. Um, but I think there was so much, I think there was a waiting to exhale moment that sort of came there. And it was sort yeah. of like a, and it's like, you know, there's a, fuck it, man. I, I, I've been thinking way too damn hard how to get mom, how to get to the schools, how to pay the bill, how to... I don't want to think about anything. I've had politics in my face every damn day for the last 2 years. Somebody doing a, a health uh, you know there, there was a time where the prime minister was giving a health uh, an update every day for x number of months and then at one point it became okay it's going to be just like once a week now and it was like oh, oh god finally. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like but but what I'm saying is that you don't think of the pandemic as politics being present right in your life but we were all a lot well we were all a lot of us were at home or those of us that were essential workers but everybody was tuning in especially at the beginning every day to see what the next thing was
1: yeah right yeah that's true i i, I think you're right um i think so. was just that like i'm disconnected the covid fatigue and politics fatigue sort of went hand in hand i guess at that point yeah do you think that um do you think that we are going to be able to eventually get to a place where uh, where a bipartisanship, like a demand for bipartisanship will come from people? Or do you think like, uh, can't, cause I don't wanna, I, I always uh, sort of hold out a little bit of hope that we are not going to follow in lockstep with our American cousins and just become a completely divided state. Mm -hmm. Do you think that eventually there'll be moderates among the right and the left that will just completely fucking demand that we stop this shit? Or do you think that 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 is unrealistic?
0: Uh, It's not unrealistic, but if I'm being completely honest, I think for that to happen, the conservatives have to lose the next two elections federally. Really? Yeah, they have to spend that much time in the sin bin realizing that this is not going to work for them. Because listen... Polliver is now what Harper 4.0 5.0? It's all Harper but different packages.
1: I feel like Harper's is, has has sort of drifted more towards mega than Polyab has drifted to, Then Polyab slash Mega has drifted towards Harper. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel I- like Harper wasn't mega when he was in power, he may have been a little bit like sleuthy and like a little bit like cloak and dagger with what his real intentions are and all that shit. But he 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 wasn't overtly mega like, like it is right now.
0: He he wasn't overtly mega because he believed in incrementalism. He really was going, thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a majority and then another majority, maybe a minority, and then I'll be out. And by the time that happens, I'll have had about, you know, eight, I'll have had about 10 to 12, 13 years and I will change Canada. Now it won't be recognizable a little bit, little by little bit because right. a lot of the Trump stuff that's going on, some of that stuff was beta tested here first. If you're looking back, for example, um, removing all mention of climate change from government websites. Oh. Right. Harper tried that first, but that went there. Um, changing foreign aid policy to not fund stuff that did abortions somewhere else united okay. states was doing that a little bit and then we did that and then they did that some more um you know we had uh, the the you must remove your veil at the citizenship ceremony they upgraded that to a muslim ban there's there's a yeah, lot of things yeah. yeah it's he did it very very he knew canadians wouldn't go for it he also knew that because we had more than a two-party system and that we don't have a U.S.-style Supreme Court where the appointees are, you know, conservative or liberal. You know, we have a different sort of appointing system and a different tradition to the court, principally because we have the three seats that have to have, you know, Quebec Civil Code on it. Harper uh, so also that, popularized
1: so, uh, putting cases in front of the Supreme Court that he knew had, didn't have a chance and succeeded. Chance
0: of winning, yeah. that type of stuff. And uh, you know, the number of times he was overturned constitutionally, particularly a lot with mandatory minimum laws and that type of stuff. Well, each one of those things technically is a crime. Hmm. He tried to commit against us and then the court reversed it. But each one, each one of those things was something he tried to get away with that was illegal, that he tried to impose on us. Interesting over and over again then held in contempt by parliament yeah and then the in and out scandal cheating in the election to which they pled guilty and then they tried to keep the money you know We're, like this, for all yeah. that for all this talk about the liberals being corrupt and all that kind of stuff he was the one that pleaded guilty in court to in and out they had bruce carson they had P- arthur porter the associate Dude, being the Del senate Master scandal to, me to jail was... mike mike duffy w- went went to court uh well, yeah. Mike.
1: well the, 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 the... John meredith
0: has the sexual scandal
1: if i just may like like i i talk to mike duffy on a regular basis mm-hmm. right he, he oh, won't he, come he on he my screwed. show he won't come on my show because his fucking lawyer won't let him come on, come on my. he show. got screwed he did get screwed he thank you for saying totally. that because a lot of people don't understand that they think mike duffy no, no. was part of the corrupt machine but he wasn't no no
0: he tried to denounce it
1: well, not only every that, step. but like he never actually did anything wrong. Now, no, no, the rules the themselves, right the, the the rule, the Senate rules themselves were the problem. Yeah, okay? but he like,
0: asked all the right questions along the way. Should we did, not be but, doing but, that? Somebody should should be looking at this? Should we call this person in? That, no, 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 you don't need that. You don't. Know but he asked all the right questions every step of the way. He got screwed. Harper shot himself
1: in the foot with that whole thing because yeah,
0: Mike but, Duffy. But no, no, wait a minute, play, wait a minute. Harper shot himself in the foot. But you know what Harper did? That was genius, right? No, was getting him to accept the nomination for PEI first, because from that point Harper had him by the nuts. Because Harper well, could just turn around and say anytime if he fell out of line, oh
1: well, oh no, I guess you're not really from PEI, you're from Ontario. I guess we're going to rescind that. Well, that's now. where Harper fucked up actually, because uh, so so, yeah. so so for those who don't know, Duffy um, Duffy was appointed a center senator because Harper wanted him to be his golden boy when it came to fundraising, right. That was the idea. Yeah. Now, Duffy ended up um, claiming a housing allowance. Right. That seemed to break the rules at the time, but the rules for the Senate were so loosey-goosey that they actually didn't break the rules. Right. But then Nigel Wright and and, and Stephen Harper decided, like, either they didn't like the um, potential impropriety of breaking the rules, or they didn't know the rules. Because Nigel Wright then cut a check for for Duffy, who didn't break any rules, to cover up the expenses that he had paid that he had claimed, even though he didn't break any rules. So, and so that they he covered point- up a scandal that didn't even exist, and thereby invented the new scandal
0: and expenses that he would not have had had he been appointed from Ontario, where he had been living for the last seventeen years or thirty years. didn't knows. break the rules
1: though. The Senate rules no, themselves there were, were no, no rules loose. to break. Yeah.
0: There were no rules to break, but that's the problem right. is, is that because he had appointed him from PEI, and clearly he had not been living on PEI, it, it was the social damage, right? right? That i Adams like, oh, well but then the cover up was worse you d-
1: than the actual infraction because there exactly. was no infraction. <laughs> but that's how he made him
0: dance, Mike Duffy dance. If you don't do what I'm going to do, then all of us, you don't, you don't do what I need you to do, then I'm going to go to the media and say, oh, well, wait. wait Look at this scandal, Michael Duffy. I get you didn't live in PEI when you signed this document. Hey yeah. everybody, look. Yeah. Wow. And then throw another virgin into the volcano. That's how Harper you know how Harper got rid of Raheem Jaffer and Helen Jurgis, right? He was gonna Jurgis him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and which would have been really difficult as a senator, right? Like because Jurgis well, wasn't a that- a senator, she was a she was a an MP, she So was an MP. it would have been totally different. But like Jaffer. Yeah, but it was like, like Duffy, when, when I talk to Duffy, it's, it's hilarious because he first of all, he's very savvy. He's also quite old. He and, and he doesn't, you know, his faculties aren't as strong as they were like 10 years ago when the Senate scandal was happening or however long ago it was. He just wanted it too much. He, he kind of did like he felt important. Like he, he yeah. listen, if you're if you're a guy who's in the media and you're in the media for like a quarter century and you know, everybody. Yep. the natural progression um for yourself if you want to have this like career that sort of encompasses just... all things media and politics you become a senator you're probably thinking and rightfully so that you've accomplished a lot in your life and exactly. and i get it he got he got a little bit uh, rosy-eyed i would say yep. um yes you know and with, with the with the role that he played of of sort of like raising money as a senator for the conservative party yep but then when when the knives came out yeah he all of a sudden realized what he should have realized as a journalist at the from the very beginning is that he was expendable and he was being used right and so when i talk to him now you can hear it in his voice douglas last time i talked to him was probably like i don't know six months six months ago or something but i used to talk to him like once a month i literally like dude he's one of those guys where it's like duff i gotta go we've been on the phone for like two hours (laughs) i gotta go but but I love him in a way, too, because like he's very um, he owns his naivete like he he understands yeah. how, how naive he was about how the politics work, despite being a person that was ensconced oh, yeah. in it as a media person. He just Th- didn't that- understand what is like behind the curtain. That situation wounded him deeply. It totally. Oh, my God. It totally it defined him as, as yeah. in the last in the last, you know, act of his life that was his defining moment and he lost and i don't i don't understand how he lost his uh appeal to 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 get his pension um you know like he didn't do yeah. anything wrong he was dragged yeah. into court and he was found not guilty and he still can't get his pension yeah. or or his legal expenses paid and i find that very strange uh for yeah. a guy that that was found not guilty yeah. but the the trainer and
0: stuff expenses and whatnot that was a little dicey so, but the the resident stuff and whatnot like this that was and the consulting firm thing too so I mean like he he was a bit greasy too yeah, but, the, the hu- but the whole the whole housing wrong. thing was a setup Harper trapped him into that one yeah and all along true. all along he was trying because because he asked shouldn't I be a senator from Ontario shouldn't I be doing this you know what about these benefits maybe we should have this person come and explain it to me and everybody was saying no 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 trust us and he did yeah I like guess so that's that was the thing when I was looking into when I was writing for my blog it's like I'm sitting there' going wait a minute, this guy is actually asking the question, the right question and saying, shouldn't we bring somebody in to check about this? And they're the ones that, why is
1: this guy on trial? Why are the other people on trial? Dude, do you remember, I don't know if you felt the same way that I felt, but like when the Senate scandal was happening, I was sitting there at home scratching my head being like, who the fuck is Nigel Wright's public relations person? Because why is this guy right? basically being canonized by literally every conservative racist? Right? Is he a saint? Is he the pope? What's happening here? Like, it was insane. He was in, completely infallible. No one had anything bad to say about Nigel Wright. I know. Ever. It was crazy. That was weird. Yeah. The I've never seen that before in politics where someone just it. gets completely absolved of any wrongdoing of any kind even though he's the person that cut the check to cover up the crime that didn't exist
0: he didn't (laughs) even need to be absolved he was never accused of anything it's the first time in the history of the world that someone got accused for accepting a bribe that nobody got excused
1: for offering it yeah that's right we (laughs) he's such a crazy fucking world oh my god uh douglas i'm gonna go now because i think that uh that's I, I enjoyed the show tonight and I don't want it to derail and I don't want to uh, reject the people that might be trying to enter the show now because I'm done with it. Um, but listen, um, as far as like the last two or three casual Fridays go, I'm so happy that I got to spend it just with you because uh, it's been a long two months, my friend. And uh, I'm so happy that, um, first of all, I'm very happy. Congratulations again on your new role. Um as Thank you doctor cuckoo face what is lord cuckoo face lord cuckoo queen okay. beaver and lord cuckoo face together forever it's funny. <laughs> That's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> well congratulations on that role thank you again for joining us uh on casual friday and uh hopefully do you, are your rehearsals going to be every friday again or
0: uh i have to look at the schedule again it hasn't been finalized but okay uh, I, I don't i think this one might be different because we're working with kids
1: okay well listen i hope to see you next week and uh i love you and thank you for joining me again tonight
0: i love you too and hey congratulations to you too because you've got lots of stuff going on that you've been working on and i know some really good stuff is going to come out of it so
1: thank you very much man i'll be in washington dc uh from september 7th to the 10th as well for a whole bunch of different reasons but I'll, I'll fill you in next week on casual friday thanks buddy. okay
0: enjoy all right buddy
1: Douglas Connors from the Eager Beaver podcast. I really appreciate everyone joining us tonight. Uh, Clearly, as you can tell, if you're a regular viewer, I'm in a much better mood than I have been in a very long time. And a lot of that has to do with you guys. And uh, most of it has to do with Douglas. He's the greatest co-host in casual Friday history. And he's just really good. He's a good yin to my yang. And uh, I don't know when my next show is, but I am back now. I will not leave you guys hanging for another week or whatever. And we'll see you next time i Black, Black, Blackboard Black, 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 Blackboard Black, Black Black, Black Blackboard Black Black, black. black, 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 black <laughs>
0: Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we
1: exume the truth.
0: I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.